Welcome to Think Again, the iThrive podcast for ODs. I'm Scott Jens, your host for today's episode, covering the topic of selling your eye care business to a private equity-backed owner. Our guest is Dr. Lori Lipiat from Salem Eye Care in Ohio. Welcome, Dr. Lipiat. Thanks, Scott. It's great to be here. Yeah, let's jump right in. You recently completed the sale of your practice. First, let's talk about how many years were you in business prior to the sale? 32 years. Oh, my. <laughs> that feels like a lifetime. It is. Uh, and, and you just had an incredible practice. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, I started Salem Eye Care um, back in 1989 as an independent practitioner, just started cold from scratch, nearly out of school, and built the practice into what it is today, which is you know, a, a really nice practice in, in the town of Salem, Ohio. Um, so that sounds all good, right? Uh, and it is, and it was, and I love the practice. I've loved practicing, um, taking care of all my patients in the community. I've, I've loved building it. I've loved engaging in technology. As you know, we've had so many conversations around that. Um, just trying to make the practice and, and build the practice to the best it could be. And after 32 years, I feel that I achieved that goal the, the best that I could on my own. And you so, were really supportive of your staff. I mean, you had a real family atmosphere and I'm sure that doesn't change, but tell me a little bit about what it felt like to go through this process. How long did you think about it? Well, surprisingly, I've been considering what to do about my practice for about four years. So I'm 58 years old. And about four years ago, I started thinking, wow, you know, this is a great practice, but it's in Salem, Ohio, a town of like 20,000 people. Uh, yeah, we have some surrounding communities, but let's face it, Salem, Ohio isn't the most desirable place for a young person to move and, and you know, start again and, and build a, a life. Most people are looking for other places than Salem, Ohio. So that was a, that was a challenge that I, I started looking at as well as, um, you know, I would love to bring a new grad in and teach them what I know and um, eventually pass the, the practice on, on to that person. But as you know, the dynamics of new graduates have changed. When I started my practice, I was there 24-7. I was working 10 or 12 hours a day. I, you know, ate popcorn for meals because I didn't have any money to buy food. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, that's not exactly how new graduates come out of school thinking today. So as I looked at all of the choices that are out there and available to a person like me who's been in practice 30 years. And, you know, what, what can I do to keep the legacy of Salem Eye Care living on forever? Private equity certainly became an option. So I'll start with that. It became an option. So I started doing my research and I researched as hard as a, a person could research, you know, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of webinars, there's a lot of people talking. So I just started listening and talking and really started focusing on a long range plan. Because remember, 
when you sell your practice, you just don't usually walk away. There's going to be a period of time that you're expected to stay in that practice. So if I started four years ago, I'm really looking at a seven or eight year plan to, to exit the practice. If, if you look at the timeline and a lot of people don't realize that. So as I started weighing out the options, private equity started rising to the top. I did have some conversations with some ODs. And again, the challenge is I built the practice almost too big for the town to, for a, a person to really financially assume the responsibility. And, and that that was a challenge. Let's hit on that because you've now hit on a couple things, which is, I mean, you started in Salem, Ohio, 32 years ago, but you said that there's, it's new that the, the younger doctors you say aren't as generationally interested in going to smaller communities and you build this big practice that maybe is hard for somebody to buy into. Those are a couple of reasons that you weren't maybe as, as, as likely as you maybe had thought to find somebody to come in and assume ownership over time? Is, is that a fair takeaway that I've, I've got here? I, I think so. You know, in, in thinking about it, you're selling two things. You're selling the location and you're selling the practice. So, you know, as you know, when you are in full-time work, you know, being a full-time practitioner and a full-time business owner, there's enough challenges. So, you know, the, the obstacles around that just appeared to be greater than what I wanted to take on. I wasn't interested in being an owner finance um, person either. So, you know, it's just harder nowadays to find um, find buyers unless they've been a part of your practice for a long time, which wasn't the case in, in my case. So I really needed to bring someone in. So there's a period of time that they would have to, you know, be a part of the practice, evaluate whether, whether they wanted to buy, you know, it's a process and private equity really cut a lot of that timeline down for me. I was an owner financier. (laughs) And I can tell you that for the listeners that want to do that, there's a path, but you talked about a seven or eight year timeline. That is a much longer timeline and a timeline in which you're not in control. And I got to guess that's part of the reason it wasn't as desirable to you. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Um, So as I, as I weighed out the options, you know, I learned a lot and I think anyone looking to sell their practice really does need to, you really need to do your homework. So it started with getting good advisors. So I wasn't about to go out and, and try to figure out, you know, which which private equity companies are for me or how do you get your practice in front of them. I chose to go with a consultant. I think that's really important. So that's that's a key person that you need on your on your side for a lot of reasons. And you know, we can talk about that or not, but it became very, very critical in my case. An attorney, a good attorney who's used to dealing with uh, private equity. So there's a difference between the attorneys in Salem, Ohio, and attorneys that uh, really work with, you know, practices selling to private equity. And I want to emphasize that because that becomes really, really important. And um, if you don't have the right person that can actually really put put the lid on your on your practice um, uh, adventure here. The other person that was really important was my CPA. So my CPA became, you know, really important through this process. And then finally, 
uh, my financial advisor. So, you know, there's just a lot of people that you kind of need to be thinking about and lining up in order to be successful. And those for me were the, were the key people that became sort of my partners in, in this uh, practice uh, sale. You know, a lot of ODs who own an eye care business realize that they have an investment in their business and it's held inside the practice. In fact, they run some expenses through the practice, other things. This idea of you bringing in a team makes me think, That now you have to think about, well, you already have thought about with your advisors, how this and the income from this investment is best used going forward, right? Now it's got to be put in different kind of vehicles. Was that something that your advisors had to give you a lot of um, sort of perspective on tax basis and otherwise to make sure you do good things after the sale? Yeah, and that's something a lot of people don't think about. So um, I was having all those meetings before I even signed the letter of intent. And I want to emphasize, Scott, going through this process, I want to emphasize that private equity isn't necessarily for everyone. I will tell you that loud and clear after going through this process. And I'm I'm saying that just transparently because to your point, there there is a ton of exposures that are revealed during this process. So um, to your point, literally all your financials are exposed. Um, The emotional side of that can be a little challenging. So I had to work emotionally prior to this even starting to be okay with that because I'm a very private, I'm very transparent in in terms of saying what I think and and believing what I say, but internally I'm a, I'm a private person. So I, I don't share my finances. I don't share that type of information, never have. And to have all of that kind of exposed to me was really the first time in in my life. So uh, I had to emotionally prepare for that, as well as emotionally prepare for not being the independent owner of my practice anymore. So those are things that, again, I worked on before the sale. And I, I think that's important because having gone through this process, I think that if you don't address those with yourself, I think that if you try to address those issues while you're going through the sale, you're going to have some personal challenges. That's great. And, and I guess I'd like to ask you, from the naysayers perspective, you talked about private equity is not for everybody. I've had a lot of conversations in the last five years with doctors and say, there are some that purport that the doctor will still be an independent practitioner. Are they from your experience? So, you know, that's where not, not all eggs are the same. Um, I was very fortunate in that I had choices. I had um, several choices um, in terms of which direction was the best. And really, I looked at those, I looked at the decision making process from three key aspects. One was the personal aspect. So what do I want out of out of this partnership? What does Lori Lippiet want out of this partnership? And I had to define that for myself and everyone's different. So what I wanted out of this may be very different from what someone else wanted out of the, out of the partnership. The second thing, and, and I would weight all three of these things equally. The second thing that was very important to me was my staff. What would be 
the best opportunity for my staff to remain successfully employed and happy. So staff considerations were another key decision-making element. The third piece of this was clearly the legacy of my practice. So I worked 32 years to build this practice and make it what it was. And with or without Lori Lippiet, I wanted Salem Eye Care to live on forever in my town. I wanted it's downtown, smack downtown in the middle of the town. And I wanted it to be an icon. And I am a realist. I'm not going to live forever. I'm not going to practice forever. So how do I make that happen? So I looked at those three key things in terms of private equity and what I did was I matched my goals to the private equity opportunity that best matched those goals. Yeah, that's really well said. And again, I, I think that often it's just looked at as what is the price? And those are incredibly more impactful and broadly impactful uh, criteria. But let's talk about price. Uh, you're very transparent, but I understand your privacy. I don't would never ask you for numbers, but what is that negotiation like? I mean, a lot of doctors don't know until they get into it. If somebody's listening to this and doesn't know where to go, what are the one or two practice variables that are the most assessed and, and, and how did it go for you to optimize your, your number one criteria, which is the personal goal, which I'm sure included, you know, deriving a great value for what you had built. So yes and no, that, that, was, that was one element um, financially, but I think there's other elements financially that you need to look at. And the, the other element is your employment agreement. So um, if, if you want to work five years or, or 10 years more, the employment uh, agreement becomes equally as equally important as sort of the sale of, of your practice. The bottom line is I don't think that um, a lot of us have all of the skills that we need to understand what goes into that process, which is why I chose to work with a, a consultant broker who helped me make those decisions. So in terms of the actual practice, obviously EBITDA is the most important element, but there's, but there's other things. There's um, again, the employment agreement there, it depends on if you own your building, if there's going to be a lease back, which in my case there, I do own the building. So there was a lease back. So there's all these things that really tie into the whole big thing. So it's, it's the, the actual number for the sale is just one piece of, of the puzzle. And what I will say is there's give and take on both sides. So, um, if, if an employment agreement is important to you and the aspects of, of, of that is the, the key thing, there, there can be some wiggle room on the other side of things. And I want everyone to know that nothing, um, nothing is written in stone. I found all of, all of the uh, private equity entities to be very willing to listen, negotiate, and, and try to make the owner seller happy because at the end of the day, um, they want the owner seller to remain in the practice and be successfully happy. And that makes the practice successful. So they really, I found all of them very willing to reach that mutual goal. 
How does an OD that's looking at this process themselves um, find one of these consultants? Um, you're pretty well connected in the industry, but how does a doctor go about finding one of these selling consultants or advisors? So a, a lot of them um, co-sponsor some of the webinar series that are available. When you start asking around, um, the names pop, start popping up. So it's it's not hard to, to find. There's, you know, um, there's a, anyone can ask me or someone else or, you know, reach out. There's, there's a lot of opportunity to find someone who is going to work on, on your behalf. And remember, they're working for you. So, um, you know, what I found to be so true is that working with that type of person or entity allowed me to, to really be transparent and say, look, you know, at the end of the day, here's, here's what I'm looking for here. Here's my, what I want out of that. And then it's their job to go back to the private equity companies and make that happen. So that's not your job as an OD. Your job is to keep working at your practice and, and keep keeping your patients happy, keeping your, your staff happy, and let them work on, on your behalf. And the whole process, it takes a while. So if you think you're going to, you know, you want to sell and, you know, it's going to be done in a month or two, it's, it's, it's not. It's, it's going to take some time to waddle through all of the logistics that go into a practice acquisition slash my, partnership. My takeaway from that is that the investment you made in those folks, not only in the time that they spend on your behalf, but also what you paid them to do it um, was returned in many ways in value and other sort of terms and conditions that you got in your favor. And I would suspect that those that are listening that wanna sell their practice and think they're gonna do it on their own, don't realize that the other practices that are being bought by these private equity firms that are represented make you look when you do it on your own, a, a little bit amateurish. So, you know, definitely step up your game is, is what I take from what you've told us. Now, what does the, the future look like for Dr. Lippiet going forward? You know, you're gonna do some more work and sort of wind down and, and enjoy life. I'd love to hear where you're headed. Thanks, Scott. Well, I think, you know, um, I'm going to be the vice president for the OWA this upcoming year, starting later this month. So one of the one of the um, organizations that I've been passionate about for the last 15 years has been the Optical Women's Association, which has the mission of promoting the leadership role of women in optical. So through that organization, I've you know, just met some tremendous women in the industry that I can call friend or sister or, you know, a business associate. And I feel that it's time to step up my game with that organization and, and give back for all that they've given me. Um, again, that that's going to be a time commitment. So I definitely wanted to free some of that up. My parents are in their 80s and they are now spending winters in Florida. One of my goals was to have uh, more flex time so that I could travel back and forth and spend more time in the winter out of Ohio in Florida with, with my parents. And <clears throat> then really, you know, when you're a practice owner, at, at least in my case, I never had the freedom of going away and totally being disconnected from my practice. I 
was very connected all those years with my staff and, and my practice. And even though I was away, I was not all the way away. So one of my goals was to alleviate some of the business stress of, uh, of practice ownership so that when I did have time off, I could I could enjoy life a little more fully than what I, not that I don't enjoy life because I do. And you know that, but just, just not have that, that lurking and over your head, you know, who called off today or, or, you know, what's going on or, you know, all, all of that type of thing. So the business administrative part of that for me is, is after 32 years and believe me, I love that part of the practice, but I'm just at the point in life where I want less of it. I am so excited to see what contributions will come from your efforts on behalf of OWA and, and really your leadership to all of the women colleagues in optometry that can follow in your shoes and find the success you have. Dr. Lori Lippiet, thank you for being a guest on this iThrive podcast. I can't tell you how grateful I am for your words of wisdom to our listeners. Thanks, Scott. And to the audience, thanks for sticking around. And I'll turn on the next iThrive podcast. Be great at everything you do. Mm-hmm.